Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. Oh, it's Saturday. Oh, it's Saturday. He's armed with a week's worth of talking points and got up early for your listening pleasure. So kick back and enjoy all the immensity, the potency, and the intensity that is The Robin Lundberg Show. Here's the man so charismatic, we named the show after him, Robin Lundberg. It is The Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio. And of course, it is coming to you from the live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios when you want the ability to adjust your loan options in real time. Rocket can. Uh, Going to get into the NFL draft a little bit right now. It is that season of the year, that time of the year. And I always say, you know, the NFL draft is such a huge event because, one, the NFL is, is just such a monster in general. But it is the one event, too, where I, I know at the beginning of the regular season, all fan bases have some degree of hope. But if you're a realistic fan, you know where your team generally probably stands heading into the season. But in, in the draft, everyone does indeed have hope. And I'm joined now by Rick Saratella, creator of NFL Draft Bible. And Rick, uh, let's start by uh, talking about the quarterbacks. I guess you have to, right? Is that now the, the theme of every NFL draft? Um, how, how many quarterbacks are, are worthy of being taken at the very top? Well, hey, you know, thanks for popping me on here. And, yeah, it's a quarterback league, right? You look at the common denominator around the league of the teams who are in the playoffs, and those are the teams with good quarterbacks. You know, quarterbacks rule everything. If you don't have a good quarterback, you really don't have a good team. So, you know, we're all trying to get that quarterback. And, you know, I I have, to my count, 10 new starting quarterbacks for week one already after the free agent frenzy that we can anticipate. And that's not even counting – the four or five or maybe six quarterbacks that we see in the first round coming up, right? So, you know, to me, it's Trevor Lawrence, one, uh, out of Clemson to the Jaguars. It's Zach Wilson, two, BYU to the Jets. I think that's pretty much fine. Uh, I'm a believer Trey Lance is the guy that's going to be fit for that 49ers offense at three and kind of, you know, take a back seat to Jimmy Garoppolo until he's ready to be handed the keys to the Cadillac. And then, you know, the draft begins at four, in my opinion. Do the Falcons go Justin Fields or do they go with Kyle Pitts? And I think that's really where, you know, the debate 
real debate begins. So you you think it will be Lance at at three? Yeah, you know, I think when you give up three first-round picks, you're not trading up for Mac Jones, right? You know, good quarterback, but just not a franchise guy, in my opinion. That's just me. It's a hard sell. To me, Trey Lance, if you remember when Kyle Shanahan had RG3, his rookie season before that injury, that was an unstoppable offense. And so to me, I think Trey Lance is the guy with the tools, the skill set. He's the one that can develop into a franchise quarterback. I think he sees the upside with the Trey Lance. So, all right, so you think it starts at four. That's interesting because I, I had heard, you know, a lot of people think it, it, it starts at three and that that would still be up in the air. So where does that leave Justin Fields? Because he had a, you know, an, an impressive pro day himself. Yeah, you know, I think that – I think at four, the Falcons do have to consider it. Uh, Matt Ryan has a manageable contract. It, there, it looks like he'll be there for a year or two. But the Falcons, to me, are a team looking to reload, not rebuild. I mean, you, you inject the Kyle Pitts now to play a, a Tony Gonzalez type of role in that Falcons offense with a Julio Jones, a Calvin Ridley. Uh, Matt Ryan, he, he's on the back nine, say what you want, but he's still one of the top signal callers in the league. Suddenly – you know, this was a top-five offense to begin with. You inject the Kyle Pitts, suddenly I think with Drew Brees retiring, uh, you know, Tom Brady, they, they, they reloaded again too, but Carolina's on the rebuild. So, you know, they, the Falcons could compete as soon as this year, and it's really – it goes back to the same scenario the Packers were in, like, hey, do we take a weapon or do we groom our next quarterback? And I think that's what the Falcons are faced with. Now, how much do you take away from performances in pro days? Because it was, you know, Justin Fields' 40, that, that obviously stood out, and then Zach Wilson's uh, shorts and T-shirt uh, throwing display <laughs> that, that had a lot of people wowed and enamored. Yeah, I mean, you know, me personally, I don't put I, – I take it like a shot of tequila with a grain of salt. Uh, you know, our grades are in the books. I already watched the film. I have an opinion. You know, what a guy does in thin air and, and gym shorts and T-shirts, we just need to go back to – you know, Jamarcus Russell, right? You know, hey, I threw the I threw the ball through the field goal post, you know, on the 50-yard line from my knees. Hey, cool, cool story, bro. We're not making and one mixtapes. Hey, I love I love the throws. I love the ability to be out there and go and freestyle, show your mobility. At the end of the day, you know, hey, it's, it's really more about the teams getting to meet you, shake your hand, look you in the eye, get to know your DNA, your personality. At the end of the day, you're investing in people, not players. Robert Lundberg uh, here on CBS Sports Radio talking about the NFL draft and uh, doing so right now with uh, Rick Saratella, creator of NFL Draft Bible. Let's go beyond the quarterbacks for a second and and talk about the non-QBs. Again, pro days were uh, a big story there with Jamar Chase and and Kyle Pitts. Uh, Particularly with the latter, I've heard some some really, really uh, over-the-top praise for, for Pitts and, and what he might be able to do. I think he had the longest wingspan measured in, in 20 years. At, at his size, he ran a, a 4-44-40. Um, Mel Kuyper, I think, called him the highest-graded tight end that he's ever had. Where are you with, with Pitts and just how transcendent he, he could be from that tight end, which is really big wide receiver position? Yeah, he reminds me of a guy that came out of Savannah State maybe 20, 30 years ago in the Shannon Sharp. And he's a bigger version of Shannon Sharp. But that's the kind of weapon this guy is. And I got to agree with Mel. You know, I was very high on TJ Hawkinson, who I thought was one of the top tight ends that I've graded. 
and Hawkinson was a top 10 pick. So I think, you know, Kyle Pitts is very much in play at Atlanta at four. I think there's a real conversation to be had with Cincinnati at five, although Jamar Chase would be enticing to reunite with Joe Burrow. Are you kidding me? One of the most prolific offenses in college football history two years ago. You get those two guys together, that has to be a consideration. But I think, you know, Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, and in my opinion, Penay Sewell, I don't care about the 33 and one quarter arm length. I saw the guy in person. I know what he brings to the table. Those are the three blue chippers. And it's interesting because you talk about three or four quarterbacks with the first three or four picks, and the three blue chippers are all offense. You got to go back to 1999 where the first seven picks were all offense. Yeah, I mean, that's generally, you know, the skill position players aren't always the first ones off the board either. Do you, do you see um you know who do you think will be the first let's put it this way who do you think will be the first non QB taken? Whew. I, I had my last mock I had Pittstone to four at Atlanta I just like the fit there uh, the first defensive player I, I think could be surprising uh, you know Jason Owa Aziz Ojolari if it's a pass rusher if it's a cornerback maybe Patrick Sertain from Alabama maybe J C Horn from South Carolina I think the one guy that could could fall based on his off-the-field concerns is Micah Parsons from Penn State. The linebacker there, 250 pounds, he's running four three forties. You know, he could he could fall the first day of the draft, even though he's probably the best defensive prospect from a talent standpoint. Robin Lindbergh talking to Rick Saratella, creator of NFL Draft Bible here on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, and then there's the, the team specifically – and you look at the importance of the draft, one that, that stands out is uh, the, the Patriots. You know, um, Rick, Robert Kraft said earlier this week that they've missed in the draft, and that's one of the reasons they, they went on this free agency spending spree. Um, and he, he said he, he liked the, the process changes they've made in their approach to this draft. Where do you expect the, the, the Patriots to be looking, and how important is getting this draft right for them? Yeah, I think it's a really key part uh, of the, you know, legacy of Bill Belichick, right? I think I think Bill Belichick's the most motivated person in the NFL right now. So that's the that's the uncharacteristic free agency that you saw. Not really a panic, but really just an urgency. Uh, he's going to be seventy years old, so mm-hmm. you know he's not out here trying to trying to rebuild the program he's looking to reload and that's what he did in free agency he spent the money he drafted two tight ends uh, on the first two days a year ago they didn't pan out hey i'll go sign two more in free agency he's admitting his mistakes and moving on and and reloading and rebuilding now with that being said i think that cam newton with a full year coming in understanding the system a little bit more now i'm hearing that the covid really took a toll on him last year and so they'll roll the dice once again but i wouldn't be shocked at 15 if mac jones is on the board they pull the trigger there you know based on his relationship with coach saban if he if he likes what coach saban has to say i think mac jones at 15 could be a very real possibility yeah, it, it, you know, it's funny that makes a lot more sense than than I guess San Francisco at three, where, where some people have thrown it around. Uh, you like Trey Lance to go to the Forty ers at three in the draft to go beyond that. Let's go back to the the top of the draft though for a second. Trevor Lawrence is almost the forgotten man in this draft because he's been the presumptive number one pick for so long, and, and of course, once you you knew he was actually entering the draft, you knew he, he would be the number one pick this time around too. 
have you wavered at, at all at, at, with him as the surefire number one, or, or is that just the consensus is right? We, it's been right all along, and that's why nobody talks about it because he is that good a prospect. Yeah, I think the, the the general consensus around the league was like, hey, wink, wink, nod, nod type of deal that Urban Meyer, you know, part of the deal of taking that job was Trevor Lawrence was going to be the guy, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, you saw, the, you saw the Jaguars' contingency on that uh, personal prayer day that Urban Meyer helped them coordinate. He suggested it. He said, hey, why don't you schedule an early pro day? Then you can have the surgery. You'll be ready for training camp. So, like, you know, that tells me, you know, it's a no-brainer and – uh, even though it's assumed to be the first pick for a very long time, I'd still be so excited. I'd be doing cartwheels, spin wheels, and everything else. How about Zach Wilson at number two, where it seems like he's landed uh, You know, with the, the Jets, that that's almost a, a, sure, a foregone conclusion at this point. You know, the, um, the hype around him really built in, in recent weeks, not just the pro day, but some of the stuff I had heard people say about him and, and the comparisons – that were, were, were made. Um, what is your evaluation of Wilson? Just how good do you think he'll be? Well, I think it helped that he came in at six foot two because the size was somewhat of a concern. You talk about the mobility and ability to improvise and the moving pocket, and I think that's what you got to buy into. And, and so, you know, believe me, San Francisco did their due diligence. If you're giving up three number one picks, they made that phone call to the Jets. They realized, hey, the Jets aren't moving because they're locked in on Zach Wilson now. Don't try to fit Zach Wilson into your offense. You've got to now build the offense around Zach Wilson. And if you do that, just like the Arizona Cardinals did with Kyler Murray, like the Texans did with Deshaun Watson, like the Ravens did with Lamar Jackson, if you can build that kind of offensive attack, move in pocket, let the guy improvise, because that's where he's at his best, well, then he can be very successful. Now, if you're going to take Zach Wilson, say, hey, you've got, th- you got to play a certain way, you got to be more of a pocket passer, it's not going to pan out. But again... You look around the league, the modern-day quarterbacks, Zach Wilson fits it. However, you got to be careful with those guys. You saw Kyle, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, even Patrick Mahomes, when these guys struggled with injuries and were limited, somewhat limited mobility, and forced to be more of a pocket passer, they struggled. And you saw it with the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. You saw it with Kyler Murray the second half of the season, as well as Russell Wilson. So at the end of the day, I still think there's a home for these pocket-passing quarterbacks, but we're kind of on the brink of seeing this this big wave and influx of mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, I I would say that mobility is now a prerequisite for a quarterback. I mean, look, Tom Brady is uh, a a traditional pocket passer and the the greatest of all time and just won again. I think his mobility comes from the fact that he moves well in the pocket and he gets rid of the ball so quickly. But don't you think if we're not there already, we're getting to the point where – a quarterback's not going to be drafted if they aren't not necessarily a runner, but mobile. Yeah, I think I think we are. We are seeing kind of a new wave of quarterback. And I spoke to uh, former coach uh, Jim Moore the other day. We had this conversation because if you remember, he had Michael Vick, first thousand yard rushing quarterback. I said, "Is this a fad or is this here to stay?" And he believes it's here to stay. I mean, you look at Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. They did win. Super Bowls, but it is the pocket-passing guys, you know, still the Tom Brady's and the Aaron Rodgers of the world. Drew Brees sits there in the pocket, makes decisions. So it's those kind of guys also still having high success. But, hey, a couple years from now, I, like I told Coach, I said, hey, the, the, the pocket-passers, they seem like dinosaurs, like they might be extinct soon. 
Yeah, well, I mean, look, Brady's almost the exception. Because you mentioned Rodgers. Rodgers is a pass out of pocket, but he, he definitely moves outside of the pocket to pass as well. Almost, You know, Mahomes almost took that formula to a, a different level. Russell Wilson's somewhere in between that, uh, you know, and, and, and let's say Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen's in there, too. I mean, it, you're basically mm-hmm. everybody you're talking about isn't is uh, Ben Roethlisberger's back for one more year, but Drew Brees is gone. I mean, it is kind of Tom Brady and then everybody else, no? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Phillip Rivers now retired, Eli Manning retired. So, yeah, these guys are – Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> could be his final season. Joe Flacco, you've seen he's now – become a backup so yeah i think there's validity to it rick saratella creator of nfl draft bible appreciate the time this morning enjoy the rest of your weekend man hey robin you do a great job brother keep up the good work and appreciate the time follow robin lundberg on twitter his twitter handle is at robin lundberg that is correct you can tweet at me. I've read plenty of tweets on the show already. Time to get to some college hoops. In order to do so, I'm joined by Vin Parisi of Fox Sports, uh, FS1 college basketball analyst, SNY studio analyst. And Vin, let's start with, I, I think, the news of the week. And that was obviously Roy Williams' uh, retirement um, from North Carolina and, and from college coaching. I guess after the dust settles, you can look at where he is in his life and everything and, and make sense of it. But how surprised were you when, when the news came down initially? You know, I was surprised, uh, Robin. And then, you know, then internally, I guess, more and more stuff is leaking out of, you know, the North Carolina local media that he's been, you know, pondering this, uh, I guess, recently. Um, and just, you know, like you said, for his age, um, you know, there's been, you know, uh, there's been some local reports out of, uh, there that, you know, he's, you know, with all this, the way the game's going with the transfer portal and, and all of these challenges, but, you know, 70 years old and, and obviously the hall of fame career, uh, that he's had, it's just, just remarkable and, and, and so liked and respected and, um, and, and revered across the board with the sport. And when you think about the fact that he has over 400 wins at two different schools, you know, let alone uh, over the 900 mark. Uh, just just an unbelievable run for Coach Williams. Uh, and it leaves a, a obviously high-profile vacancy. Um, do you have any thoughts on not just who will be, but who you think should be the, the next coach at, at North Carolina, which is, you know, amongst, if not the most prestigious job in, in the whole sport? Yeah, you know, and – I don't know if they were to go the the Hubert Davis route or not. I just, Robin, I've always looked at that job like there's a handful of jobs to where you just look at whether you want to talk Duke. Um, You know, it it looks like Indiana uh, is wants to become one of those places. But you know, like a North Carolina, you gotta you gotta you gotta convince me before I believe it um, that they're gonna hire outside of the Carolina family. I mean, listen, they can. Anything's uh, the unexpected happens all the time in college basketball these days. But, you know, whether it's Hubert Davis or or somebody else, I'd be very, very surprised with the history of that program and and the way they keep it in the family that if somebody doesn't have Tar Heel Blue in their past. So, yeah, Hubert Davis, Jerry Stackhouse, you're narrowing it down to those guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) 
a couple of the names I've seen thrown out there. Robin Ludberg talking to Vin Parisi, Fox Sports, FS1 college basketball analyst, SNY studio analyst. All right, let, let's uh, move toward the, the final four. Uh, obviously, it's coming up to later today. Um, you have to start with Gonzaga. I think this all starts and ends with, with Gonzaga right now. How much pressure do you think is on that team? Because you, you mentioned Indiana just a second ago. I believe that's the last team to complete a perfect season, 1975, yeah. 1976. So with Gonzaga not only going for their first ever title, but going for history um, and being the favorites, mind you, how much pressure do you think is on them? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's funny because there's a part of me that wants to think, man, you know, this is this is a lot of pressure now. It's for the taking. This is, you know, this is championship or bust. And I think we're trained to look at that from a media perspective and a social media perspective on them. But then in the next breath, I think of how they have performed so far in this tournament and how comfortable I still am just picking them along the way. Because, Robin, the way that they are casually, casually dominating uh, teams in this field on both ends of the court is remarkable and you know how drew timmy plays in the post now when you're talking about somebody's third or fourth act the way you are with drew timmy after a Corey kispert and after a jalen suggs you know and you said okay they're big men down low that not enough people talk about you know he got 30 and 13 you would think oh okay he did that in the first round game or the second round game no he did that against oklahoma um you know so the the fact that they have this many weapons if you really look at it on paper, we're still getting like B, B-plus performances from Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert. They still haven't even played A-plus, their best basketball. And they're rolling teams by double digits. Um, and, and then, I mean, you look into that Elite Eight game, and the game was literally over uh, nearly at the first or second media timeout. And um, they really haven't been challenged since their conference championship game against BYU. And they still won that game uh, by 10, and then they struggled at times. Uh, they're just so complete offensively. And uh, it, it's, let me tell you something, besides an unbelievable performance uh, by somebody else, Gonzaga would have to play poorly for, for something I think wacky to happen at this point, the way they look. Well, yeah, I, I suspect you don't think they're going to lose to UCLA, who's had a great run through the tournament, but it's 14 point dogs. Uh, yep. <laughs> in this one, how about Baylor though? Cause I have heard, you know, it's Gonzaga and then everybody else. And then I've heard some people say it's Baylor Gonzaga and everybody else. You obviously sound like the, the former right now. Is it the play throughout the tournament that convinced you that, that, you know, there, there is a tier and Gonzaga's on its own uh, level. Yeah. I, I think it's been the, 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 the play throughout the tournament. And, and listen, I, you know, I, we all evaluated and judged this team way beyond uh, their dominance of the West Coast Conference. I mean, they um, they had they were perfect in quad one play wins, non-conference. They had beaten West Virginia. They had beaten Virginia. They had beaten Kansas. Um, you know, and but the way they looked in the tournament has, has been impressive. Baylor is definitely the most well-equipped team. Uh, you know, it is not out of the realm of possibility that that Baylor can't win the national championship on Monday night against the Gonzaga. And, that, and that's not to just bypass the, these UCLA and, and Houston games. I'm not. But the way Baylor is equipped, Robin, as a team on both ends of the floor, they're the best three-point shooting team in the field. They have multiple guys that could go off at different times. 
Um, they have the star quality factor with future pros, whether you want to talk to Jared Butler or um, uh, uh, Macy Oteague or Davion Mitchell. They, they just, But the way they play defensively on the other end, not enough people, Robin. If you were to tell me one understated factor that not enough people talk about, not enough people have talked about Baylor's defense in this tournament. I'm going to give you the Villanova game for an example. They didn't even shoot it well from three-point land, and they won by double digits because of their defense forcing Nova into all those turnovers. If if they could control tempo um, uh, along the way, uh, that one could be interesting. But I still think that Baylor and Houston is going to be a terrific basketball game. Don't overlook that one. So you're you're giving Houston a, a real shot to to possibly upset that that Gonzaga um, Baylor collision course. That yep, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I know the spreads at around five ish. I think last time I saw I, I saw I it at five people, this morning. Yeah, I don't think people are talking about the Cougars enough. And I, listen, I get it. They've played only double digit seeds up until this point, but their style is conducive to making a game low scoring, ugly, and close. They beat you up. They're not known for their three-point shooting. Kelvin Sampson's teams crash the offensive boards better than any team in the country. Now, granted, you know, Kansas transfer Quentin Grimes has been terrific. Uh, Jerron Giroux, their uh, point guard, has been great. But they make the game ugly, and they are tough, tough guards. And and they could keep this one close. I I just think in the end, if I'm a betting man, I just don't think the Cougars have enough offensive punch uh, down the stretch in the second half to stay with the Baylor Bears. So Gonzaga and, and Baylor and, and Gonzaga um, completing that perfect season if, if we're reading into what we've seen in the tournament, which is where we kind of evaluate these things. Robin Ludberg talking yeah. to Ben Parisi of Fox Sports and FS1 college basketball analyst, SNY studio analyst. Vin, real quick on some of the other coaching moves. Um, for, for those who, who maybe aren't too um, in the weeds on these things, uh, the Porter Moser going from Loyola to uh, Oklahoma, Chris Beard from from Texas Tech to Texas to replace Shaka Smart who went to Marquette. Uh, what should be the takeaways from from some of these moves? You know, I, I respect the, the, that Porter Moser really waited until you know he felt comfortable in the right fit that he didn't just jump ship. You know, and they had that Final Four run a couple years ago, Rob, and he had an opportunity. Um, he was very, very, very close. Uh, to signing on the dotted line with St. John's. And he flew back uh, to Illinois, and he got cold feet, and he came back and he told his president and his AD, he said, you know what, uh, it was a great experience. He had flown out to New York. He had spent the day and the night, in the night uh, but he just said, you know what, I just my heart's still here, and I'm not ready to make the move yet. It all worked out for everybody. Illinois-Chicago went on another great run. St. John's got the Big East coach of the year and Mike Anderson. It all worked out, but... You know, I respect the fact that he didn't just jump, that he waited for the right move. I, I got to tell you, I was a little surprised. Uh, I-, I knew that Texas rumors with Chris Beard would be rampant after Shaka Smart went to Marquette. Um, but Texas Tech has made every accommodation that you can make. They're paying them NBA money. They are committed to upgrading the facilities, whether it's practice facilities, offices. Just They, put, they were putting a boatload of money into it. Rightfully so. I mean, what he was doing on a national level there for a few years with Texas Tech was remarkable. Um, but I think if you even looked, if you saw that press conference the other day, even the Texas Tech uh, AD was a little surprised and hurt. But a, a great example, Robin, as we've seen before, of how guys feel about their alma maters. 
You know, Chris Beard, a long time ago, was a student manager for Tom Penders there at Texas. And now he truly feels like he's had his, he's at his dream job. Um, he's one of the best tactician defensive coaches in America. Now, if he just keeps getting that high quality talent, you know, everyone talks about this guy like, uh, you know, he's come out of nowhere and he's coaching up these teams. He sent two guys to the NBA draft the last couple of years at Texas Tech, too. So he's pumping out talent and recruiting at a high level as well. But, um, yeah, interesting coaching carousal in, in, a, in a month where we thought it wasn't really going to be that crazy. Well, I, I guess uh, they, they call it March Madness for a reason. Though we're in, in April now. so I, I, That's that right. We're in doesn't April. It doesn't apply we're anymore. <laughs> we're, it's over. Vin, appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, man. You too. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Miss any of the show? Catch up with the Robin Lundberg podcast. Available all week on the weekend page at cbssportsradio.com. It is the Robin Lundberg show here on CBS Sports Radio. And I'll get to all the topics I have not gotten to as of yet in just a moment. But first, let's get to Mitch in New Jersey. Mitch, you're up on the show. What's happening, Robin? How are you? Oh, good. First, I hope uh, Chargers, I mean, they have, good, they have themselves a real good quarterback. I hope they, I hope they have one of those good wide receivers or Pitts. But I don't think Pitts is going to fall down that far. And the 49ers, I mean, I thought Jimmy is still in his prime. Um, but if they do have the, that was they, I thought that was crazy to make that trade, but they do have the draft the quarterback. It better be I would I would take a chance on Trask or Moody, but it, it should be Fields. I always thought Fields was the second best quarterback going to this draft, so I don't know what the 49ers are doing. And hopefully they're not making a big trade for Watson because Watson doesn't even know what he'll be doing this coming year. But anybody but uh, Mac Jones, I mean, the guy cannot run. I mean, well, he played with a bunch of good, uh, great players. Uh, when it comes to the 49ers, and, and thanks for the call, as always, Mitch, um, The Jimmy Garoppolo has been injured a lot and not been you know he obviously got to the Super Bowl with him um and he's not a bad QB but they're clearly targeting their quarterback of the future I I would uh eliminate any Deshaun Watson trade talk right now and I don't think any of that is relevant there's far more important things going on there um as far as why they made that trade that's obviously why they believe that their quarterback of the future is going to be available for them at three whether that is Trey Lance Justin Fields or possibly Mac Jones um, I think it would be one of the, the, the first two that I, I, uh, I mentioned there. But there's no other reason for them to make that trade. And, and it's hard to get a quarterback like that. Like, it's hard to get. Now, teams missing the draft all the time. And look, the Jets are about to take Zach Wilson at number two. It wasn't that long ago they took Sam Darnold right near the top of the draft. But clearly, that was the reasoning behind the 49ers making that trade. All right, time to get to everything I haven't yet in another one. It's time for another edition of Another One on the Robin Lundberg Show. The rumors, reports, and ridiculous from the week that was. Here's Robin Lundberg. What's up first, Anthony? All right, so following a 38-point performance against the Mavericks, head coach Rick Carlisle praised Zion Williamson, comparing him to Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal. Carlisle said... He presents huge challenges for the defense and for officials. He's just creating collisions out there. This is a Shaquille O'Neal-type force of nature with a point guard skill set. So is it fair to compare Zion to Shaq at this time? Yeah. 
Uh, I think it is. Uh, that's who I always sort of compared him to as a physical presence. You know, when you're looking for somebody who's, who, from just a mass and strength standpoint, raw power, uh, the only comparison was Shaq. Now, Shaq is a lot taller than Zion, so it was never apples to apples, different types of players. Um, I, was, I used to say he was uh, Shaq in Draymond Green's frame, something along those lines. But Zion's kind of had his happy learn how to putt moment of late where instead of them trying to figure out how to get him the ball, they've just given him the ball. And he's making plays off the bounce. I mean, to me, the number one commodity you can have in the NBA nowadays is shot creation. And Zion has become a shot creator in the sense where he is, you know, as Carlisle put it, just like kind of bullying through people off the dribble, off the bounce, putting them in the rack as he scores. Now, you know, always got to refine your game, the outside shot, setting up others, everything that comes along with that. And and he's not quite, you know, a full-time point guard. But that ball handling has been on display, and, and it has really unlocked his game. I don't know how many straight games. I don't think the streak was broken yet, but he, he's had so many straight games where he's shot, scored over 20 points on 50% or, or better shooting. And the, the guy who did have that mark for the shot clock era was Shaq, and, and Zion was quickly approaching um, his mark. If he hasn't caught it already by now, he, he's just been a, a dominant force. Um, and, and so, yeah, if I'm comparing him, He's one behind Shaq because he hasn't played since that, that last game against Boston. If I'm comparing him to anyone, it would be Shaquille O'Neal because that, that raw force of nature aspect that, that he has, that, that's the, you know, I'm not saying he's as good as Shaq was or as dominant as Shaq was or, or will be necessarily, but that's the only person I could think of when, I, when I'm trying to describe um, the tools that, that he brings to the table from a physical standpoint. What's next? Another one. So Matt Nagy is returning to play calling duties for the Bears offense. Nagy gave up the play calling last November when Chicago ranked 29th in scoring average. Is Nagy making the right decision? <laughs> it depends on how it works out, right? I don't know enough about his uh, play calling acumen or, or what's been different before. It's going to come down to how well Andy Dalton plays. For, for that team. I know the, the QB one thing was a, a, a giant joke and uh, they didn't read the room when the Chicago Bears account sent that tweet out but Dalton has been a serviceable quarterback throughout his career. It's, it's not like he's a, as much a bum as everybody made him out to be and the one thing the Bears have going for them this year is expectations. The expectations are low and when expectations are low people will tend to see anything that exceeds them as some sort of success, even if it's not necessarily a success. So what I mean by that is if Andy Dalton has a B minus season and the bears, you know, finish, you can't go eight and eight anymore, right? Uh, Nine and eight. (laughs) If that's the, their record, will that be seen as a success? Uh, Perhaps it could be spun that way. And, and that's, you know, there, there's only, look, that that whole regime there from the GM to the coach is probably on the hot seat. So 
there's only one direction it could go anyway. Might as well go all in and see if you can get the praise for, for anything good that happens. But I, I don't know if it's going to make a difference or not. I, I can't really speak to that. What's next? Another one. Sticking in the NFL, New York Giants co-owner John Mara said this week that they spent big money this offseason because he is tired of losing. It's been a very difficult uh, four or five year period uh, for us. And, um, you know, I'm tired of um, of the losing and of having the postseason press conference trying to explain what went wrong and why I think we're making progress. It's time for us to start uh, winning uh, some more. And that's one of the reasons we spent the money that we did. So, Robin, will the Giants spending pay off for them in 2021? I mean, doesn't this come down to Daniel Jones? I know it's always lowest common denominator analysis to just simply say it's about the QB, but I think that's kind of what it's about for the Giants right now. This will be the year where you find out whether he's the guy or whether they got to try again. Um, you know, his career is, is if you're going to break it down into one play, it's that long run he had where he fell down at the end because he flashes talent, but he's made so many mistakes. Now he's got an arsenal to work with on the offensive side. There's no question. That team got better on the other side last year. Um, there's no reason not to expect some sort of improvement, but none of that's going to come to true fruition if the quarterback play isn't up to snuff. So I really think this season will be a referendum on Daniel Jones, which is then a referendum on David Gettleman, which is then a referendum on the state of the New York Giants as a whole and where they go from here. So it's an important year. Um, you know, there's always an important, every season's important, but for certain teams, it's more important than others. And I, I would throw the, the Giants in the, the, that bucket of teams that, that need uh, this year to, to work out well or else they're going to go through a whole other rebuild once again. What's next? Another one. All right, finally, Godzilla vs. Kong hit theaters Wednesday, 16.3 million in its first two days in theaters. Of course, you can also watch on uh, HBO Max. Uh, you saw it, right? What you think I of did. it? I, I liked it. Look, I, I mean, I, folded, I did not like Godzilla King of the Monsters or that other Godzilla movie that came out. I kind of liked uh, right before that. I kind of liked Kong. I liked Kong Skull Island. I really liked the Peter Jackson King Kong movie, but that had nothing to do with this one. It was big and silly and dumb, uh, you know, but I, I kind of knew what I was expecting going in, and it, it met those expectations. I didn't dislike the human characters in, in this one as much as some of the others. The pacing was, was kind of uh, foot on the gas pedal the whole time, and, and it never really pretended to be anything um, that it, it, it wasn't. So... Uh, is it my favorite movie ever? No. Uh, is it one that I, I think will even be like a, a cult classic? Probably not. But was it an enjoyable movie? Did it satisfy what I wanted from the Godzilla King Kong movie? Yeah, it, it did. I thought the the, the it looked good, um, and and I thought the fight scenes were, were well done, and I appreciated that they weren't all in the dark <laughs> as well. So. Um, Maybe it's also the fact that my kids are, were really into it in the moment, too. But I, I came away um, happy and satisfied with Godzilla versus Kong, even if it wasn't cinema necessarily no. at its finest. Definitely what did not. you think? Uh, did out you of four it? stars, I would give it two and a half out of four stars. Uh, again, when Godzilla is facing Kong, yeah, that stuff was good. Or when they're facing other creatures... Uh, all the monster stuff when they're fighting each other, that's all good. Uh, the human stuff for me was very weak for the most part, all very weak. Uh, 
Uh, they tried to make you laugh a bunch of times. I maybe laughed once or twice. They, they tried to be funny a lot, and yeah. I, I didn't find any of that really funny. Um, again, especially wait, uh, you saw it from home. Yeah, you say I feel like uh, I feel like you have. This is the type of movie you want to see on that big screen if you feel comfortable and if you can, uh, because again, the action, yeah, the action scenes with the fighting, uh, it, it does look good on the big screen and then in the IMAX theater with the sound as well. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I mean the stuff with Godzilla and, and, uh, and Kong, that's all fun. The human stuff for me was, uh, was the weakest part of it. Again, you know, going in, like you said, uh, you know, going in what, what you're going to get, you know, this is not a movie that's going to win any Academy Awards. You're there to see Godzilla face, uh, Kong. And, and also, I also appreciate the fact that we got a winner, you know, uh-huh. I feel like a lot of times when these franchises are pitted against each other, you know, you try to make them come out both looking good and they really don't get a decisive winner. We get a decisive winner in this. Yeah, I think they both came out looking good, but there was definitely a decision. Yeah, but also one helped give energy to that the yeah. sword. So, I mean, yeah. still, the other guys still came out really looking good. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> all right. I, I, we're having a baby in my family, so I'm going to be out for a couple of weeks. I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. I appreciate you always listening. It's been the Robin Lundberg Show here on CBS Sports Radio. Ken Carmen up next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.